Our message is from John 16. I'll read John 16, starting at verse 25 through the end of the chapter. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See now, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the reality of it. We thank you for the promise of it. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, Jesus now sits at your right hand and that not only does he intercede for us, but you also hear our words and we uh, have them heard uh, in accordance with his precious work. We thank you now for this time, for this opportunity to enter into your presence. In Christ's name, amen. We began this series back in May, and so it's been about seven months, and it's averaged out to about every other week that we've been able to cover this series. And what's interesting is it began in chapter 13, and it kind of focused on the disciples for the first few weeks. But then Jesus turned towards the Trinity. And the first three messages that really spoke of that in uh, chapter 14, beginning at verse 5 and ending at verse 33, were the work of the Spirit, the merit of the Son, and the love of the Father. And so, uh, or I'm sorry, that's what has occurred recently. But at the beginning, we had the preeminence of the Father, the authority of the Son, and the presence of the Spirit. And so we've gone from preeminence of the Father, authority of the Son, presence of the Spirit, to work of the Spirit, merit of the Son, love of the Father. And so there's been kind of this very large, symmetrical, chiastic view of this whole three chapters. So Jesus anchored it in the Trinity right at the beginning, and now he's completing it in the Trinity. And you have this beautiful symmetry, and he never lets us really get too far away from the Father and the Spirit being his co-workers in this work. Uh, in our culture, in modern Christianity, uh, we have so many aberrations and there are so many opportunities for us to uh, forget about, about the Father, forget about the Spirit, obsess over the Spirit, uh, obsess over Christ. And yet Jesus himself, I think, laid it all out here in his final admonitions to his followers to balance, balance, balance. The Trinity is all about balance, yet it's all about hierarchy. 
It's about authority, yet it's about unity and community. It's that quintessential one and the many challenge of the world that we live in. It's just such a beautiful uh, illustration of how we are to live as individuals and yet live in social units, families, churches, communities. And so we ought not forget that. It was just central to how Christ taught them. Now, in the text that we read, after he clearly says these things, uh, these things I've spoken to you figurative, figuratively, but the time is coming when he'll dispense with figurative language. I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you'll ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. Because you've loved me and have believed that I came forth from God, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And they said, see, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure. I believe they err here. They err here in making a common mistake that I think all of us make. And I think it's rife in the modern world. And the mistake is that they confuse understanding the words themselves with understanding the meaning of the words, the depth of the meaning of the words. We, in our world, understand the function of things. We understand so much more in the last couple hundred years than, we, than mankind have ever understood as to how the world works. And we mistake that for wisdom. Our culture, lots and lots of people who have doctor before their names and their titles are really, really foolish people. They're unwise. They're not wise people. They're foolish people because of this error, because they mistake knowledge and understanding the words with understanding the greater impact of the meaning. And that's exactly why Jesus then rebuked them when they said that. Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. So see, it's a mild rebuke, and he's not crushing their faith, yet he is rebuking them in that they really don't understand what they're saying. And they ought not say anything in that event, but it's what we do, don't we? We often spout off in our foolishness. So Jesus promised to end the figurative language, and they mistake his clarity of speech in that they truly understand what he's saying. They don't, and they're about to have the shock of their lives when he's ripped from them via the cross. In verse 32, indeed the hour is coming yes has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone and yet i am not alone because the father is with me so when christ is taken from them what unites them is gone and what he says is you will be scattered each to his own and i commented on this in the introduction they would flee to the to their own for the most part that night in the garden, they flee. They spread to the four winds. Now, it's true that Peter and John go, and they're on the periphery, but that certainly is not at least to Peter's living uh, pride because all he does is embarrass himself by, by sacrificing his uh, three years with Christ and saying, I never knew him. Get away from me. And he swears. 
So see, he ought to have gone home. He wasn't really ready to bear what it was that Christ was going to burden him with. So they all disappear to their own. Yet, Jesus says, I am not alone. The Father is always with him, was comforting him there, would comfort him in what he was about to endure. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. He knows the challenge that they will soon be facing, hours away. And so he's comforting them with these words because they are about to not experience much, much peace. And frankly, they're not about to experience much earthly peace for the rest of their lives. They will all be pouring themselves out for the sake of the church. So to see the peace that he's speaking of obviously isn't just our temporal peace, our being comfortable in our own homes and living out our lives as we want. The peace that he's talking about is peace with God, that eternal peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I know the church in uh, Des Moines, I always am reminded of the fact that their fellowship there uh, is named Good Cheer. And it's just such an odd name for a church. And yet it's a beautiful name for a church. It's in the words that Christ affirmed to his disciples just before his death. And so we all ought to be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. Now Jesus is speaking of that which hasn't happened yet. He says, I have overcome the world. And yet he hasn't fully lived that out yet, but he is so confident as God in the fact that he is going to accomplish it that he speaks of it in the past tense without any doubt, without any wavering. So see, in us, in humans, that would perhaps be presumption. It would be over, overconfidence. It would be pride going before destruction and the fall. And yet with Christ, obviously, no, it's just an affirmation of the truth. He knows what's going to happen, and he's telling them what's going to happen. Now, many people ignore God and his word throughout their entire lives. They will fight with us over every little thing that we try to get away with saying in their presence because they just have no regard for the word of God, and they challenge us all the time. I am so... Uh, uh, shamed in part by Toby and some of the posts he makes on Facebook. He'll make these bold posts and then he'll get some of his Facebook friends to speak critically of it. And yet he's always so very winsome when he responds to them. You know, ah, get away from me, you jerk. I'm going to unfriend you. That's not how Toby responds. He responds very winsomely. That's a good question. And then he responds with the truth. Not getting all bent out of shape over the fact that they're challenging him, but just thankful that they're responding, that they're weighing in. And so as we want to engage with society, that's what we need to do. We can't just unfriend people, metaphorically, when they disagree with us. We have to weigh into that. We have to tolerate a lot of their abuse. And I really encourage you to become better at that. And I think Toby's a good illustration of how we ought to model after him. So see... Now, this week, I'm facing this issue at work with this coworker who's lost a wonderful little daughter. And yet, I know he and his wife don't know the Lord. 
even though her father was a pastor. They don't know the Lord. They don't love the Lord. They don't seek their comfort in the Lord. Yet I hear all of these affirmations being heaped on them. Oh, she's in a better place. She's with her grandfather. You'll meet her one day. And I am just so sad because I know that's not the case. And so I really want an opportunity to be able to speak to this fellow. And, uh, you know, having personally participated in the burial of many loved ones that didn't know the Lord, my heart breaks for such people. I don't want them to be deceived. We just don't want to go along with this societal contract of not offending people and just allowing them to presume that God is just this all-loving, great big grandpa, Santa in the sky, Santa in the sky, that will do all that we expect and imply and presume. And it's just not true. And so we all ought to uh, be more, much more bold. I don't say offensive. I say bold in wanting to reach out to such people in their grief and in their loss and just not go along with the crowd and seek those opportunities from God to speak the truth into their lives. So see, our good cheer is based on not only knowing that Jesus overcame the world, the, Jesus, the demons know that and they tremble at that fact. Our good cheer comes from our sharing in that knowledge, our sharing in that victory, our being a part of what Christ has done uh, on our behalf. Uh, we worship him. We serve him. We lift him up in our praises. And so it's Christ that separates us from so many in our culture that say they practice Christianity because they're on the anity part of it. They're not on the Christ part of it. We have it all. We have Christ at the center of our Christian religion and we serve him faithfully. And so as we come to the table, let's rejoice in the fact that we know the truth and that the truth gives us good cheer and that we face death with hope, with confidence, with grief, and yet with an assurance of victory. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the truth. And we pray that we would not uh, subjugate the truth to social norms. We pray, Lord, for boldness. We pray for uh, winsomeness and being able to reach out to people. And yet, Lord, have us not to in any way uh, perjure ourselves by speaking hollow empty, comforting, what we consider comforting words to those that experience loss when faith is not at the center of their lives. We instead, Lord, want to honor you when we partake of bread and wine, when we recognize that it is only your blood, only your sacrifice that purchases peace with our Father in heaven. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for peace. We thank you for life. We thank you for victory and assurance of that victory over the grave. We ask you now to enter into our lives, into our minds, have us to serve you faithfully by all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.